Hi everyone, welcome to Sacred Musings with me, Phil Saker. It's episode 44 of the podcast today. It's the 21st of July 22 and today we are looking at whether God will always protect us and we're also thinking a bit about the new feudalism and we are thinking a little bit from a, a reflection from the Bible from the Psalms. So welcome everyone to the Sacred Musings podcast. In the main section today we are returning to a theme which we've looked at before on the podcast which is that of safety. But I wanted to take a kind of deeper dive into it um, today because I think it's an important topic and it's one which keeps coming up. And that's because as you saw over the last few, over the last week, you know, with all of the hot weather... Uh, that I think that, you know, that there was so much focus on kind of safety and, you know, it's it's just gone a bit crazy, I think. And almost everyone I've spoken to about it says that they've gone over the top with these warnings and with, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And so I think the issue of safety, you know, COVID raised it. And it's still, I think, the biggest thing that we've gone through in the past uh, couple of years to do with safety. But it is nonetheless, I think, um, not going to go away anytime soon, you know, just because um, that's over or at least now in the background, the issue of safety is going to keep coming up. So we need to be thinking about it. Uh, But before we look at that, uh, as always, I just have a couple of thoughts I'd like to share with you and one uh, article, one link. So let me just get, get going with that first. On the Swiss Policy Research uh, website, I found the link via the uh, the Daily Skeptic. I think um, they've compiled a, um, a a page. It's called Secrets of the Pandemic, and it's just basically um, a sort of compilation of all of the the different kind of aspects of the pandemic. Thinking about whether it was a, a success or a failure, the pandemic response, um, the death rate. Um, whether uh, the origins of COVID, why face masks have failed and so on. It's just a lot of kind of basically looking at the data, looking at the science and looking at the different aspects of of COVID. And it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty devastating, uh, but it's not a a very long read. Uh, I say pretty devastating devastating to the you know official narrative if you like um but uh, yeah you might like to have a look at that if you haven't seen it already i think it's a good summary of where we are so there are a couple of thoughts that i've had in the last week which i'd just like to share with you it seems like so much is happening at the moment one thing i wanted to share with you is i've just watched this last week or two you know this way up it's a it's a sitcom or, or you know kind of comedy series um, f- starring Ashling B and Sharon Horgan and th- those are the two writers and it's about a woman who's a, a sort of an English teacher and she has a, a mental health kind of crisis and it's about her kind of trying to rebuild her life. I watched the final e- uh, episode of that yesterday and you know, as I was watching it you know it just really struck me how it's so nihilistic or nihilistic no, it's like this that Ashling B's character, who is is kind of the protagonist, I think. It's it's seen most things are seen from her perspective, and it it just seems like you know she's struggling. She's a, a broken kind of person, but none of the other characters actually really seem to have a genuine love and concern for her, apart from maybe her sister. There is some kind of compassion and concern. But really, everyone is just so broken and so focused on themselves. And 
you know, she's just trying to find love and trying to find connection. And it, she's just kind of broken and ends up harming herself. Um, and it, it seems to me anyway that that is just a little... If that's a comedy series now, you know, it's like... It just seems to me to say something really fundamental about our society that that's that's where we are as a society you know that everyone's kind of broken and this got this nihilism that no one really knows what's right anymore that no one really looks out for for other people that we're all just focused on ourselves and our own stuff um you know that we don't care for others and we don't genuinely love you know there's very little of that and it just made me sad as i was watching it I should say, I mean, I think it was well written, it's well acted uh, and everything, but it just made me so sad as I was watching it because it, it seems to hold up a mirror to what's happening in society now. And, you know, the experience of um, Ashton B's character is just, you know, common. And I think that's that's the problem, that this is, uh, you know, people are just searching for love and for meaning in the world and not finding it. And um, that's because people have turned away from God. And there is the root issue that, you know, as we turn away from God, then we have inherited this kind of nihilistic, meaningless, loveless world. And it's the tragic hell-like world that we're living in now. And, you know, it, it seems to me that that so much of the West is just now like that. There's no hope. There's no there's no love. There's no meaning. There's just despair. So, yeah, um, and and that's why I think we need to we need to talk about this. You know, we need to talk about God and we need to talk about the gospel because, you know, Jesus does offer hope. You know, he, he does offer something above what uh, what these things are offering. He does some offer something far beyond what the world is offering. And we need to be prepared to speak about that and look to what he has to say. The other thing that I wanted to say, the other reflection that I had, um, so there's, that's a lot this week, um, but um, over the last few months we've been watching through some Jane Austen films and, you know, um, we have a, a younger friend who likes to, to come round and likes to watch Jane Austen and so we've, you know, we've watched The Pride and Prejudice 1995 one, we've watched Emma, um, we've, you know, Mansfield Park and, and so on, uh, Persuasion. Um, so... And it, it, one of the interesting things that I've been thinking about Jane Austen's writing is that she talks a lot about how the rich and the powerful are actually worse than the people at the who are not, you know, who are in poverty. That having a high status in Jane Austen's world does not guarantee that you're a good person. In fact, very often it's quite the opposite. As Elizabeth Bennet says at the beginning of Pride and Prejudice, the very rich can afford to give offence wherever they go. And that's the thing, you know, that they see Darcy who is proud and who is, you know, thinks that he's above it all. And, you know, he just gives offence. And you see that with Lady Catherine de Bourgh. And, and it's, but it's the case in, in many of her, her books, isn't it? You know, that the, the rich just don't care for morals, really, about, about themselves. They just want to be above the other little people and it, it just strikes me that we are living in the days of the new feudalism where this kind of attitude is alive and well today and that you know for example when you have prince harry if flying in a private jet to say actually you know you're not taking climate change seriously enough i mean it's just baffling 
I think, the level of kind of cognitive dissonance on display there. But that's the world that we now live in, where the elites think that they are above the rest. They think that they can fly around on private jets and so on and, and lecture the rest of us about climate change. And, you know, rather than actually doing good and actually solving the problems, they, it's just a, a way of bigging themselves up. So I think we've kind of reached this new feudalism um, point again, you know, that however, however far we think we've got as a society, we're just back in the days of, of Jane Austen, really, but just it looks a bit different now. There was an interesting art, um, interview, sorry, um, last week with Joel Kotkin, I think his name is. Uh, it was on trigonometry, and he was talking about you know the, the elites again. And um, I'll put a link to it down below if you'd like to have a, a watch or a listen uh, yourself. But he was talking about this problem about about now how we have elites who just don't really care about the concerns of ordinary people, but it's about making themselves look good and making themselves kind of having these political problems so they can see themselves as a saviour. And it's I think it's very, very similar, you know, that the elites are there, um, you know, like like the rich in the days of, of Jane Austen. And they don't really care about the little people. You know, they just care about making themselves feel virtuous, um, you know, because they, they don't have... You know how in Jane Austen's day the, the, um, the rich would... You know, it's all about status, and you want to marry someone of lower status because that would bring shame on your family. And you know, I think it's kind of a bit like that today. You know, that the new elites, they, the, the new feudal feudalism, you know, that they don't. It's, it's sort of like climate change or other things. You know, they look down on the little people for doing all these bad things, but actually they themselves are guilty of doing the same things. But because they're important, because they're rich, they get away with it. And um, I think we see that same attitude alive and well today. So it seems like, you know, however much things change, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And uh, we are, you know, I think Jane Austen has got a lot to teach us actually about uh, human nature and about, you know, how, how people who are at the top of the pile will just, you know, unless there's something there that will actually cause them to serve rather than rather than be served uh, then you know that that's how they're going they're just going to lord it over and that's as jesus said isn't it you know the the rulers of the gentiles lord it over them but you know not so with you whoever wants to be first must be a servant of all and that's how jesus comes to turn things on on the tables and that's the attitude that we should have you know we should be servants uh, we should be people who serve others and and that's something a small change that we can make in the world even if we're not one of these elites we can just seek to serve those who god uh, gives us and, and puts us puts in our lives to serve so there we go those are my two reflections i hope that you appreciated that just before we move on to the main section i just like to mention um if you'd like to uh, let me know what you think. You can leave a comment on YouTube down below if you're on YouTube or you can uh, email me through sacredmusingspod at gmail.com or you can go on Telegram. The link will be down below. If you're listening on the podcast, then if you do get a moment, do leave me a rating, if you can, a review, um, as that helps uh, new people to find uh, to find the podcast. And if you'd like to support me, there's a link to buy me a coffee uh, down below as well. And I do uh, really appreciate that um, as I'm sort of freelance. You know, I don't get a regular um, 
uh, paycheck, as it were, from, um, yeah, my, my, my situation is a bit complicated. So anyway, I really do appreciate all of that and just your engagement and everything with the podcast. So that said, let's move on now to the main segment and think about safety. So in the main section today, we are looking at the question, does God always keep us safe? Taking a deeper dive into safety in the Bible. And we're going to be thinking about these this question of safety. You know, I've got um, a picture there. If you're on YouTube, you see a picture of, um, you know, stay home, be safe, keep your distance, don't go out. Um, you know, that, that's, that was the messaging through COVID. And it, there is this, this question of what place should safety play in our lives? You know, how can we balance safety with freedom to, to live our lives? And I think this is an important question to come back to. You know, I've uh, mentioned this a few times on the podcast, on, on videos, on my blog before, and I've tried to explore this question of safety. But I think it's an important one to come back to because safety has... Uh, it's it certainly since COVID, I think it's changed the way that we think as a society. And what happened, for example, you know, the heat wave, the hot weather earlier on this week, then, you know, that was very much to the fore, wasn't it? How to stay safe in the hot weather. And it, I felt like, you know, in fact, it's not just me, but many people felt like the media were quite extreme about this. So I think it's important to think about safety, not just in the context of COVID, but in a wider context. But but obviously COVID has been the big thing which has raised this question over the last few years. So the question then to begin with is, does God protect us? And the answer from some places in the Bible seems to be a pretty obvious yes. So let me read you a few verses from Psalm 91, for example. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. So that seems pretty clear, doesn't it? That seems like there is protection round the clock, protection from every kind of danger, from uh, dangers during the day and at night. Um, you know, God will command his angels to guide you in all your all your ways, you know, not just some of them, but all of them. So that's absolutely comprehensive protection. But then there's a complicating factor that this passage, this psalm is quoted in the New Testament, but not in the way that you might expect. Let me read you Matthew uh, chapter 4, verses 5 to 7. Then the devil took him, uh, Jesus, to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. There we go. So, Satan quotes Psalm 91 to Jesus and says, well, if you're really uh, the son of God, then throw yourself off the temple because God's promised to look after you. 
So Satan tempts Jesus by asking him to to do something which kind of tests God uh, from Psalm 91. And Jesus says, no, it's not right to put God to the test. So does God protect us or not? What's going on here? And the, the question is about this, this question of testing. What is putting God to the test and what isn't? Well, testing God is intentionally putting ourselves in a dangerous situation uh, to, to see whether God would act or not. So the purpose is not actually doing anything right or positive or loving or what is God's will, but actually just simply to test God in keeping his promises. So let me quote to you what it says in the New Bible Dictionary uh, article on temptation. Men test God by behaviour which constitutes, in effect, a defiant challenge to him to prove the truth of his words and the goodness and justice of his ways. Thus, to goad God betrays extreme irreverence, and God himself forbids it. So testing is actually not about doing anything positive, but about putting God to the test. It is about saying, well, God, you've, you've promised this, so let me, let me see the limits. Let me see if I can goad you into acting and doing something kind of extraordinary. And that is what is forbidden. And that is what Jesus, uh, that is what Jesus does. He sort of says to Satan, no, you know, you shall not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. So how do we know the difference between something which is trusting in God and his promises and something which is testing? So in other words, how do we know when we're putting God to the test? I think the answer is just in one word, which is motivation. So what would trusting look like? Trusting is doing what God wants us to do. That is, in summary, we know it's to love him and to love others even if that thing is dangerous. By contrast, not trusting is to avoid doing something right because it's too dangerous. Now, this is not presuming on God's protection, but trusting that he is good and will do what is right. It's saying, well, God, I don't know what's going to happen as a result of this. I know there is a risk of something bad happening, but I believe it's the right thing to do so I'm going to do it anyway. And there are lots of ways that this can work out. You know, it can be in simple ways. It could be, for example, in, in lending someone a book or, you know, a, 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 an item of your possession or some money or something. You know that you might not get that money back. So it's, it's a risk, isn't it? It's a risk that you take. But you do, you do it because you believe it's the right thing to do out of care uh, for that person. Of course, that's just an example. It might not be the right thing to do, depending on the circumstances. Um, but, you know, that just, just as a for example. So how does that differ from testing? Testing is doing something which is intentionally risky just to see if God will keep his promises to protect. The concern is not about whether God wants the thing itself to be done. OK, so in the case of Satan taking Jesus to the top of the temple and throwing, you know, uh, saying jump off the top. What would the what would the point have been of Jesus jumping off the top of the temple? Now, absolutely no point at all. No point apart from testing God. 
and that's that's the difference if there had actually been some you know some purpose in jesus jumping off the temple if there had actually been a you know a, a good thing the way that he could love god and love others through doing that then it might have been a different story but the the only purpose of him doing that was to test god and that was wrong So let's look at a few examples of this. Uh, we'll start out with some examples from the Bible. Um, in our church, we've just been um, preaching through the book of Daniel, um, or the first uh, seven chapters of Daniel. And um, so I love Daniel. It's a great, it's a great um, story. It's a great book. Um, and this from Daniel chapter three is what I'm going to quote you here. This is the well-known story of um, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego um, before Nebuchadnezzar when he was threatening to throw them into the fiery furnace if they didn't bow down and worship the image of gold that he'd set up. So um, he says, you know, if you don't bow down, what God will be able to save you from my hand? And this is how they reply. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So here we see this in action. They say, God is able to deliver us from your hand, but even if he does not. So this is the thing. They're not presuming upon God's deliverance. They are saying the right thing to do is not to bow down and serve your gods or worship the image of gold. That's wrong. That's forbidden by the Ten Commandments. You know, um, we are we are told as, as believers in God to worship him only. So we must not bow down and worship another image, another God that you have set up. And we know that God is capable of delivering us. But even if he doesn't, we will not do this. So that, I think, is, is this inaction. They're, not, uh, they're, they're saying, well, we trust in God, but we're going to commit ourselves to doing the right thing. He can deliver us, but we're not going to presume that he will. We're just going to, to do the right thing. So I, I love Daniel and I love that that quote. Um, I think that says a lot about the way that we should be. Let me turn to one more from the New Testament. So um, this is the Apostle Paul from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. And this is where Paul is talking about all of the dangerous things that he has done. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. 
So Paul here is, is defending his ministry against these what he terms super apostles, people who look kind of rich and impressive by the world standards. And Paul is, I mean, I won't go into to all of it, but Paul is basically saying that he he's worked harder and he's been in danger more. You know, no one can question his devotion. I think the point that I just wanted to make is that Paul does not see being in danger as antithetical to what he, he is doing as a follower of Christ. In fact, actually, that, you know, being in danger kind of shows his devotion to Christ, his devotion to God. So, you know, he, he puts uh, Christ first. And that's something that will come on to what he says um, a bit later on as well in a moment. So those are a few examples from the Bible. Let's look at a few examples from history. Uh, well, actually, this is, is sort of an example from film, but um, I think it's also an example from history too. It's um, a, a film with um, Audrey Hepburn. It was, was the star called uh, The Nun's Story. And it was um, filmed back in the 1950s, the mid-1950s, I think. Um, it's a good film if, if you haven't watched it, uh, The Nun's Story. Um, and um, one of the, the things in that film is that a priest, as a Catholic priest, who went to live with lepers you know, on a sort of leper colony. And eventually he became infected as well and, and became afflicted with, uh, with leprosy. Now, I know that that's, that's from a film, but this kind of thing happened. You know, that out of love for the people that he was uh, serving, that he himself went down with the same, same illness that they went down with. He, he didn't have concern for himself, but his love and compassion was with the people that he was serving. And I think that's a really Christian thing to do, not thinking for your own safety, but thinking about the good of those that you are, um, you know, serving. I think that's a, yeah, we can all recognise that, I think. Um, or you might also think of um, missionaries. For example, Jim Elliott. Uh, I think I mentioned him before. And someone actually posted up that they used to work in an office with the remains of his plane. And they posted a little picture of that. So if you're still uh, listening, hello, I, I remember. Um, but Jim Elliott, for those of you who don't know, he was a missionary. He wanted to reach, uh, and, and some friends, he wanted to reach um, a tribe in Ecuador, in the jungles in Ecuador, with the gospel. This was also back in the 1950s. And, um, and he was killed by, this, by uh, the tribe. Um, and um, they, they made contact, but then I think someone... Um, one of the the, uh, the the men convinced the others that they actually had nefarious intentions and they killed them uh, when they met again. And let me just read you a little bit from an article uh, about Jim Elliot that I found. They knew the dangers. Their wives had discussed the possibility of becoming widows. Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, says they went simply because they knew they belonged to God because he was their creator and redeemer. They had no choice but to willingly obey him, and that meant obeying his command to take the good news to every nation. They were obeying the command of Christ to take the good news to every nation, and they knew it might mean they would lose their lives. In fact, they knew that that was a very real possibility, but they decided to obey anyway, and they decided to go to this tribe, and, and they were killed with it. 
Jim Elliot wrote uh, in his diary um, before that, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I love that quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot knew the truth of that, that at the end of the day, all he had to lose was his physical life. And yes, you know, he did want to he did want to, to stay. He had a, a young child with Elizabeth. You know, he wanted to, to raise her. He wanted to love his wife. But he knew that there were some things that were more important. And to serve Christ was the most important thing, even if sometimes it means danger. And I think that's a wonderful, again, we can recognise the goodness uh, in that example, can't we? Now, Jim Elliot's attitude was just like the Apostle Paul, which I kind of hinted at um, a moment ago. And this is what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 to 26. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will uh, continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So what Paul is saying here is that he knows that Jesus will be exalted whether by life or death. And Paul knows that for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. That to live, he can, he can just devote his entire life to Christ because he knows that the moment when he dies will be a moment of, of gain for him, that he'll go to be with the Lord and that it, at the end of the day, it is all his ministry, his service. It's just out of love for the others and he can entrust everything else to God and to Jesus. And I think that attitude is the attitude which is the, the Christian attitude. You're not caring for our own safety, but saying, I'm going to serve the Lord and I'm going to do it, even if it means danger or risk for myself. So let's draw out a few general principles there. We've, we've looked at a few examples. We've looked at a few um, passages from the Bible. So what can we summarise about, about safety uh, in general from the Bible? And the first thing is that our lives should be entirely given over to Christ and put at his disposal. So what we really need to be thinking is rather than thinking about our own safety, we need to be thinking about how God wants us to, to live and to love others. That should be our number one priority rather than thinking about safety. If he leads us into danger, we should follow him, even if that means martyrdom. There's a lovely line in uh, the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. 
and martyrs have got a special kind of place in the book of Revelation because they loved Christ above their own lives. And that's a really wonderful thing. Um, so, you know, we need to listen to what God wants us to. And sometimes he will put us into risky situations and sometimes he will put us into dangerous situations. Uh, but the question is, we need to be thinking about what is right, what he wants us to, uh, what he wants us to do, rather than thinking about our own safety. The third thing is, though, that this does not mean we should put ourselves intentionally in dangerous situations just to test him. We shouldn't put ourselves intentionally in danger just so we test God as to whether he'll keep us safe or not. That's not the right thing to do. We shouldn't test God. That's forbidden. The, thought, the final thing is that is the key question, you know, whether we are prayerfully motivated by love for God and love for neighbour. Now, whether we believe that what we are doing is uh, is right, is godly, that God will want us to, that he's leading us into this. You know, um, Jim Elliot, for example, believed that God was leading him and his friends to reach uh, this this people group. Um, and it, they paid the price for it, but actually they it was the right thing that God wanted them to do, and good has come from it as well, you could say. So so it has actually been, um, they have been vindicated, I believe. So we've thought about the principles of safety. So let's think then about how we did during covid over the last couple of years let's kind of bring it back um to to the the topic of the day think about this little let's compare what god wants us to do with what we actually did so for example sing um it's very clear over the bible that god wants us to sing to him so psalm for example psalm 95 verses 1 and 2 come let us sing for joy to the lord let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Now, what's interesting here is that singing was not actually against the law. It was against the guidance, but it was never illegal to sing in church. Um, the only thing that was illegal was actually meeting together as a church, which we'll come on to in a moment. A lot of churches voluntarily chose not to sing because it was too dangerous. And I think that that was a um, not a, a good decision, you know, that actually um, I think singing is one thing which God, it's very, very clear that God does want us to do from the Bible. So to sing to him is, is to show our love for him and also our love for one another. Singing is also a corporate act, uh, not just an act of us as individuals to God. So I don't think we pass the test on, on that one. Uh, meeting together. Does God want us to meet together? This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So again, here, the only time that meeting together is really mentioned in the New Testament, kind of in this way, it says, do not give it up. And I think the only reason that it's mentioned in the New Testament like this uh, specifically is because it's simply assumed that Christians will meet together. 
In fact, there is no such thing in the New Testament as an individual Christian. Now, when you're when you're saved, when you're born again, you know, you come to Christ, then you come part of his church. You're part of the body of Christ. You're no longer your own, but you're part of the body. And so just meeting together is just what we should be doing. So, you know, committing to, to meet together is a commitment of the church. And again, a lot of churches uh, went above and beyond the call of duty in not meeting together. And um, think about, um, you know, the, the archbishops, even the Archbishop of Canterbury, who said, don't even go into your church to live stream. You know, it was, um, uh, yes, yeah, so, so far from from this. Um, and the third thing that I mentioned is not to fear. I believe I've mentioned before that not fearing is the most oft repeated command in the Bible. Um, let me just give you one example from Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do not fear, for I am with you. That's a command which is repeated all over the Bible. Now, not to do things, not to kind of do things for fear of what might happen. That is such an important thing. And, you know, that, that that's what... I think that the, the whole point is that, you know, we should be uh, seeking to do what is right rather than fearing uh, for, for what might be wrong. So in general, I don't think we as a church covered ourselves in glory at all. Um, you know, I think that if you think about that, that principle of committing ourselves to doing what, what God wants us to without worrying about the consequences, then I think that, you know, um, all of the many of the things which we gave up are actually things that God wants us to do and we should have done those um, so unfortunately we we kind of um, I think we dropped the ball very badly so let me just finish with a few final thoughts about COVID and risk because I do realize that you know a lot of this is kind of a wisdom call and that you know that that actually uh, if there was a really terrible virus ripping through the country, which was killing millions of people. You know, think about the Spanish flu, uh, for example, where many young men were dying and it was it was terrible. You know, would it have been right to stop singing, to stop meeting in those circumstances? Um, well, I think this is where we just need to get a sense of perspective about COVID because, you know, I think what I've said applies even if it was something really bad. But let's just take a step back and think, you know, what are what are the risks of someone from dying from COVID? You know, the risk of a healthy 75 year old dying from COVID, according to the uh, the Q COVID risk calculator, is uh, one in one thousand nine hundred and forty six. Let me just um, put that put that into uh, into perspective. Um, it's quite hard to put risks of dying into perspective, but this is from a. Um, the risks of dying in the USA uh, in 2020. Risk of heart disease, one in six. Risk of cancer, one in seven. Uh, these are risks of dying, by the way. Risks of uh, drowning, one in 1,024. Risk of fire or smoke, one in 1,450. Choking on food, one in 2,745. So in other words, the risk of dying from COVID is somewhere in between the risk of dying from fire or smoke or the risk of dying um, from choking. 
So that's kind of the level that we're talking about here. That's, that's why we didn't meet. That's why we didn't sing because of, of that level of risk. And I think that's why this conversation is important to have. You know, I think we would be having a different conversation, um, but still a very important one if it had been Ebola or if it had been something really deadly. But, you know, we're looking at something which which is less deadly than, you know, um, there's less risk of it than dying from fire or smoke or something like that. And, and as I've said before, you know, it, it feels like we've been held hostage by the most vulnerable people, you know, because if you raise anything like this, then people will say, oh, well, but what if there are vulnerable people in the congregation or what if there are vulnerable people in society? Well, you know, this is the thing, you know, I think that part of the what the Bible would say is each person has to take their own risk on their own shoulders. You know, that if you believe it's too risky for you to go out, it is your responsibility to stay in not everyone else's responsibility to stay in so you feel safe. And I think this is this is where I think it's been inverted, you know, that the risk has been very much portrayed as a you protect other people by wearing a mask, by staying in and so on, you know, to mitigate risk, rather than by thinking of them as a whole person and thinking about what, what is best for them and thinking about what how the, the best way is to love them and so on. You know, it's the only way you've been allowed to think is in terms of uh, negating risk, uh, which is not a healthy way of looking at other people. And I think a big part of this has been, of course, the, the whole myth around asymptomatic transmission, the idea that you can have the virus, uh, but not actually be display any symptoms and then pass it on to someone else. And I think as time has gone by, we've seen less and less of kind of the the evidence for that. I just don't think it's it's really a real phenomenon, or at least it's a very rare phenomenon. It's certainly not enough to kind of justify treating everyone who's healthy as if they're a potential bearer of an infectious disease. Um, but this is this is the thing that it, I just wanted to make the point that we've gone in the opposite direction to what the Bible says. Now, rather than the Bible, you know, listening to what the Bible says and doing what's right, even if it means danger. We've gone completely the other way and saying, even if there is the tiniest bit of risk, we will treat it and, you know, we will have complete uh, safety is the number one thing. We'll stop meeting, we'll stop singing songs and all of those things. Or, uh, you know, we'll have massive warnings about heat on high temperatures on the, the news and everything. And we'll completely change our lives because of safety, because that's the most important thing. And it's completely disproportionate to the level of risk. So I do appreciate we'd be having a different conversation here if COVID had been Ebola or something really deadly. But that's not the conversation that we're having. And I think we need to we need to rethink the way that we as a society uh, think about risk. So as we come to the end of the podcast, let's finish with a reflection from the Bible. So let's finish the podcast then with a reflection on the Bible. And this week I've decided to do uh, to move away from uh, from Romans. We've had a little series on the first three chapters in Romans, but um, no, I love Romans, but it is quite complicated. Um, I mean, there's so much to say about it all. 
And um, so I thought I'd, I'd change it up, have a kind of different kind of literature. And so for a little while, let's think about the Psalms and have a, a reflection on that. And, and why not start, you know, as Julie Andrews said, you know, the best place to begin is at the beginning. So why not start with Psalm 1 and we'll have a reflection and we'll kind of work our way through as I think there's so much in the Psalms to help us, uh, especially the way that things are going at the moment. So this is uh, Psalm 1. Let me read it out and then we'll uh, just think about it. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night? That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So this psalm is a psalm of contrast. It describes two different kinds of people. It describes firstly the one who doesn't walk with the wicked, um, who doesn't associate even uh, with wicked people. Um, some people suggest that there is kind of a progression here. You know, in verse one, it says those who do not walk in step with the wicked or stand the way that sinners take or sit. So, you know, walking, standing, sitting, you know, it's kind of like you're you're going down that path. You're becoming closer and closer with the wicked. So it's not just kind of having having, um, you know, a loose association with, but actually growing and wanting to, to be part of it. And I think there's something in that. Um so, you know, who doesn't go along with the wicked, but instead it says whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. So instead, who who seeks to do God's will, who seeks to do God's word, who seeks to, to love him, to love others. It says that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. You imagine that, um, you know, it's a tree planted in a desert but there happens to be a, a river running through and that the the roots of the tree kind of get its water from the river and so it flourishes even in the middle of a desert and that is kind of um, like it says that you know those who meditate on God's law even though it may be a desert will flourish and it's complete contrast to the wicked it says they're like chaff that the wind blows away and then they will not stand in the judgment um, because the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And so this is the big message of, of Psalm 1. And in fact, you could say, really, it's the, it's the big message of the Bible, which is that, you know, we need to, to remember that the wicked, however big and important they may seem in this world, actually that they are just like chaff. You know, the wind will blow them away in the end. And although the, the people in, uh, you know, people who are in authority like to think that they are the big cheese and all that, they like to lord it over. Uh, actually, God is the one who really does lord it over in a, in a sort of literal sense. And he is the one who judges all of us. And what we need to do is to look to him, to look to do good 
and look to do what is right and meditate on the way that God wants us to live, to think continually about you know, how we do right, how we, how we um, look to God. And then we will be like the, the tree that flourishes and, and prospers, even in the desert. And, uh, because ultimately, God watches over the way of the righteous. But those who seek to do uh, evil, those who seek to do wickedness, will lead to destruction. And um, I think we can see something of that as we look through history. That, you know, I mean, it's in every film, isn't it? You know, that the good always has to win. But we know at the end of the day that... Uh, that good will win out in the end because because God is good and that which is evil and which is sinful will not win in the end. And that's why Jesus died on the cross, you know, to take away uh, sin and evil for those who believe and trust in him uh, so that we can be forgiven and so that we might have a new life in him. And um, obviously that is the heart of the Christian message, isn't it? So yeah, there's a lot to think about there, um, but it's an encouragement, I think, for us to not worry about those who are wicked, not not worry about those who seem to be rich and powerful, um, but actually to tr entrust ourselves to simply doing what is righteous and good as God leads us in the here and now. So let's let's finish with a prayer and ask for God's help in doing this, as, as well as thinking about the other things that we mentioned. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to commit ourselves to doing what is good. We pray that you would help us to commit ourselves to doing what is righteous in your sight, to meditate on your laws the way that you want us to live. We pray that you would help us to um, be like the tree that flourishes, not like the wicked, the, the chaff that the wind blows away. Please help us to trust that um, you will always reward those who are righteous in the end. And we pray that you would uh, help us to commit to doing good. Please help us as well with safety to uh, commit ourselves to doing what is right and good, even when there is risk involved. And we pray that you would help us to have a, an appropriate sense of risk and uh, wanting to, uh, to protect others, but at the same time wanting to do what is right and loving and good. Um, and uh, just being able to have wisdom in how we apply these things, Lord, in the world. And we pray that in a world which is going wrong in so many ways, where there's so much nihilism, where people have no meaning, no love, and uh, where the, the, the people who are in charge lord it over us um, in, in some respects, Lord, we just ask that you would uh, grant real change and that you would bring your light to bear on our current uh, situation across our country, across our world and across our lives. We ask for your light to shine out uh, through us and uh, for the benefit of your people and uh, the benefit of our, of our land and our world. We ask these things trusting in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for joining me. Um, all the links will be uh, down below. Don't forget, if you want to uh, to join in, then YouTube comments, uh, Telegram, email. And if you are on the podcast, I really appreciate it if you could leave me a rating review would be really really great as well and there's a buy me a coffee link if you'd like to support me in that way thanks so much everyone i really appreciate all of your engagement all of your positive comments and i hope this has been helpful to you i'll see you again soon in the meantime god bless <laughs>